0: We're going to read from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. This is the Word of God. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Lord, we bow before you. We thank you that you went to the cross for us, that we might now understand your word and that we can pray that we would have the mind of Christ. Lord, we rejoice in your word, and we pray that we'd be teachable, that you'd be pleased in our thoughts And we commit our hearts to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it was at the end of November when Michael preached uh, the sermon from Romans 1, and the title of that was A Servant of Jesus Christ. And about that time, Phil and I were uh, talking, we kind of made a short list of uh, topics that we thought would be a blessing to the congregation. Last year, of course, it was on the Great Commission and how to follow through on that, and It's interesting, one of those, one of the ones on the top of the list was servanthood. And after Michael preached, we thought, I think we need to uh, go forward on servanthood. And so as Phil mentioned, that will be the focus of the year uh, in our shepherding meetings and some of our sermons. And we decided to, um, you know, servanthood basically means that uh, these are the good works that we can do by the example and the power of the Lord Jesus, to those inside and outside the church. As Phil mentioned, there's the vertical and the horizontal aspect. And we'll be talking uh, at various times on both of those. And in the book that we gave, uh, well, half of you received. Half of you received last week, the other half will maybe get it next week. And it's called Servanthood as Worship. Servanthood as Worship. And the subtitle is The Privilege of Life in a Local Church the privilege of life in a local church. And Pastor Nate Palmer, he said, uh, biblical servanthood is a response to a holy God's forgiveness of our sins. Serving God as a grateful response to the gospel is the calling of every Christian. And we'll begin by looking at one of the major characteristics today of godly and effective servants, uh, if not the major characteristic of them, uh, I asked a number of folks in the, over the last three weeks, uh, you know, as you, as you think of the most necessary quality of a servant or a biblical servant, what would you say? Almost all of them said, humility. Humility. And so we were focusing on humility as a prime characteristic of godly servants. Lauren Sandy, he was the second pres- uh, the president of the Navigators back when Cherry and I first. Uh, were involved in the navigators he was the president because Dawson Trotman who started the navigators during World War II drowned in holding up a young man in, uh, so that he wouldn't drown and so but Lauren Sandy served with the navigators for many years and he gave many turns out I looked online he gave many um, sermons on servanthood I've not listened to many of them but I will probably do so but a businessman it says once came up to him and asked him well how can I know uh, when, I've ha- when I have a servant-like attitude, and he said, by how you act when you are treated like one. Now, believers in general, I believe, want to be considered as servants of the Lord. We know we're called, as I just said, we are called to be servants of the Lord Jesus. But there are times, I'm sure, that we really are uncomfortable being treated like one. But that does occur. And there's another. Um, line that I found, and I can't find who to whom uh, uh, to attribute it to, because it's attributed to many people, um, like Spurgeon and Moody and many others. So here it is, there is no limit to the good that a man can do if he doesn't care who gets the credit. I think that's true. Whoever said that, and so I'll keep saying that. There is no limit to the good a man can do if he doesn't care who gets the credit. And for a believer in the Lord Jesus, who is a servant of the Lord Jesus, all glory and praise, of course, should go to the one who humbled himself. He is our example of that. He humbled himself for us, who made it possible for us to even know what is humble service or know what is humility. We would have no clue. And our service should not be limited, of course, by uh, a lack of being praised for our servanthood Uh, or even if we go unnoticed, it is completely unnoticed by all except the servant king. He will notice. Colossians 3, Paul said this, and he was talking to slaves. He said, bond servants, obey. He's commanding them. Bond servants, you who are enslaved to work for someone else, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And then he said, Whatever you do, do it hardly as to the Lord and not to men. Yes, they had to work for men, but do it as unto him, not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. He's saying that to slaves. You are a slave to the Lord Jesus primarily. So are we. We are to serve as unto the Lord, not with eye service, to get attention not as men-pleasers, but with a sincere heart to please God and in the fear of God, knowing that our reward is from Him, our inheritance is from Him, because we serve the Lord Christ, it says. And, of course, our highest example is our Lord Jesus. In Matthew 10, verses 42 through 45, you remember here that James and John had just gone to Him, and they had asked, you know, could I sit on your right and I, I would sit on your left? And this is what he said. He, had, he knew the Lord Jesus then took that opportunity to assemble uh, the others, all, t- all 12. And he said, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. Lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. So everything is reversed from the world. The slave is first, with the heart of serving. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He is our model. And our Lord Jesus is the highest example of serving humbly, of showing grace. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Again, this is indeed an example of humility. To exchange his richness for poverty to make us rich beyond belief. Some of his poverty was listed in Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was despised and we did not esteem him, it says. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. In Galatians 3, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He became a curse for us. And so, we begin our year this year. Our focus is on servanthood with a focus on what is probably the prime and necessary character of a servant, as I mentioned. By looking at how our Lord humbled himself and came as a servant. And servants, dear family, are not greater than their master. So first of all, let's look at verses 1 and 2. Serving humbly together in unity is what we're called to do. The verses say, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. So just before this verse, Paul said, for to you it it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for his sake. It has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, on behalf of Christ, to believe in him, praise God for the gift of faith, and also to suffer for his sake. And I would add that it has been granted to us, dear family, on behalf of Christ, to serve for his sake, which may involve suffering, and often does. It is a gift to suffer, and it's a gift to serve, for the honor and the glory of the name of the Lord Jesus. So Paul writes, by the inspiration of the Lord, saying in verse 1, therefore, because of their suffering, he was talking to the Philippians, and they were suffering, therefore, He followed then with these four rhetorical ifs. First of all, if there is any consolation in Christ. Now the word consolation is sometimes translated encouragement. So certainly we have great encouragement by being part of the body of Christ, locally in in the full body of Christ, and being one with him by his spirit. And because of this encouragement, then we are able to encourage others. We are able to encourage people that way of serving is possible for us now. If any comfort of love, well certainly we have great comfort in knowing and experiencing his love for us. That then enables us to love others and to serve them. If any fellowship of the spirit, praise God, certainly we can rejoice in the fellowship of the saints as we do. The communion that we have with one another in Christ. And part of that joyful fellowship being that we can serve others together. We are meant to serve together. If any affection and mercy, certainly we know the kindness and mercy of the Lord Jesus to us so that we can then be loving and merciful to others who need us uh, to serve. And because these are all true and these are all certain, Paul asked the saints in Philippi, he said, to uh, fulfill my joy. He wanted his joy fulfilled when he saw that they were like-minded and having the same uh, mind, the same love, being of one accord and of one mind that kind of unity. So Paul wanted the joy like a father has when his children, when he sees his children dealing with each other well in unity and peace and he sees his children following the truth and following in the steps of the Lord Jesus. And in this case, we will see in his humility as a servant, in the humility of the Lord Jesus. So Paul wanted the joy of seeing the saints in Philippi uh, being like-minded, like-minded, to, in other words, to think with the same uh, main goals, main purpose in life. And we saw that about four weeks ago. It is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, and to enjoy him together. And we should be like-minded with each other because we have the mind of Christ, which is way beyond being like-minded in just you know, certain views that we have liberty to behold. You know, we have differences, okay, you can do that. Okay, I can be like-minded. Um, but way beyond that. Because it's focused on the Lord Jesus. And to have the same love, it says here. And we will see later that we are to be like-minded and lowly-minded, both. We are to be like-minded with each other. We are to be lowly-minded, which means humble. In other words, to have a mind to serve other people in humility. And to have the same love, Paul said. A shared love for the Lord Jesus, which enables us to love others so that those who don't know the Lord will observe us as how we interact, and they'll say, oh, this is what disciples of Jesus are like. And may they they say, wow, they love each other, and they serve each other in a way, that must be how Jesus loves them, that's why they do this. May it be so here. May they see us living like that, loving like that, and serving like that. Paul wanted the joy of seeing the saints uh, being of one accord of one mind. In other words, in agreement, with the same heart to love and to serve. And to spend much more time loving and serving than disagreeing or uh, thinking about ourselves or going our own way, even as a body, not only individually, but as a body here. We are to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Earlier, Paul said in chapter 1, verse 27, he said that he hoped to hear about them that they were standing fast in one spirit with one mind striving for the faith of the gospel. One mind striving for the faith of the gospel. We prayed that last year as we were uh, uh, thinking of the Great Commission, that we would strive that way. And that section in chapter one is uh, referring mostly to striving together in times of suffering, but also would apply to striving together in serving one another and serving outside of this body serving one another here as we already do and we want to do even more and serving other believers, other uh, brothers and sisters out th- outside of this body. And that's one of the reasons we have worked uh, to connect and praise God, we have been able to connect with four churches specifically uh, here in Omaha, like-minded churches, and we pray for them regularly. That's why we, we want to connect with them. We want to be uh, encouraging them and serving them. And then serving those outside of the body that, who do not know the Lord Jesus. And that is primarily still by proclaiming the gospel. It is a means of service, of course, as a reason why we serve. It's to proclaim him. Because our Lord came to serve by sacrificing himself, by being a ransom for many. He was, and his was, the ultimate loving service. Galatians 6 tells us this. Let, let us not grow weary while doing good or while serving. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we should do good to all that the Lord brings into our lives, into our sphere of influence, and to help those in need as we are able to and as we are gifted to, that the name of Jesus would be exalted by them, from them. And we can serve, of course, in many practical ways, and we do here, to each other and outside. And there are many needs. There are many. Everyone we meet has, has needs that uh, probably need someone to help them with. So we can serve in these practical ways to those who do not know the Lord. But dear family, that alone, without us sharing the hope of the gospel as we serve, Uh, it it may help them, and certainly we should still help them, but it may not relieve their spiritual and mental suffering, their eternal need. And that, again, is one reason uh, I so appreciate the Assure Women's Center, or a ministry like the Assure Women's Center. They serve in many practical ways, and we probably review some of their services that they do, many ways they serve, and many people, and by sharing the hope and power of the gospel. They don't leave that out. They can't leave that out. First John 3 tells us, the Apostle John tells us uh, to love not just in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth, in both ways. They go together, word and deed. And what, a, what is wonderful about being in the body of Christ, and one of the many wonders of being in the body of Christ, is that we can serve in a unified way here, in the Spirit, as one body, made up of people with many gifts, And I think it's important for us to think about what this means, uh, to serve together as one body, but we're really different. We have different ways to do that. This variety of ways to serve is one of the characteristics of the body of Christ, which is filled with unique individuals who can serve for the glory of God with no competition about differences, no comparison in how we serve. J.I. Packer said this, this is a broader view of gifts, but he said the most significant gifts in the church's life in every era are ordinary natural abilities sanctified. Sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And that we do have gifts of the Spirit, I'll mention in just a minute. And this is such a contrast, is it not, with how the world relates in any organization. This kind of unity in serving joyfully, with different gifts, with differences in a group. It can't be done well, and it can't be done for very long outside of the work of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Two passages, I'll just read, note very quickly, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Romans 12 says, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually, members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, he said, let us use them. Let us use them. Used in the context of the body of Christ. Now I won't read the list in Romans 12, but just three that are related maybe a little more to serving. First of all, if, if you have a gift of ministry, it says, let us use it in our ministering. If you have the gift of giving he who gives with liberality, it says, joy. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. 1 Corinthians 12 has some similarities. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, how those are done, but it is the same God who works all in all. And we should praise God for how God uses our, the many differing gifts we have here. And then it says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For the profit of all. Praise God for this wonderful unity and that it's possible with our diversity of gifts. It is an indication of the grace of God on his people. In this book, In Servanthood as Worship, The author said, The Father created the world and planned salvation. The Son came to earth to redeem us. The Holy Spirit works to change us through sanctification. All three roles are necessary to carry out God's plan. Our relationships and forms of service can and should mirror this example of unity and diversity. Praise God. We can always learn as we look to the Trinity, look to the the Godhead, how we are to serve with humility. First Thess 3, in First Thess 3, Paul prayed this, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all. And we are praying this, we have been praying this for this congregation, that it would increase and abound in love. And as that occurs, we will be serving. And I pray that we will be unified as a serving church this year, in an increasing way, I mean, motivated by the gospel and motivated by the love of Christ. May we increase and abound in love and service to all in humility. Looking at verses three and four, then, we're to serve one another in humility. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So Paul begins to speak about humility uh, by speaking in a few ways of how not to serve, uh, because they are not done with the right heart. He said, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit as we're serving. Now, Conceit is defined as excessive appreciation of one's own worth or virtue. That's pure pride, but excessive appreciation of one's own worth or virtue. Certainly you can thank God for them. Personal, self-focused ambition, dear family, is a blight on a serving church. And so is conceit and so is self-centeredness. May it be less and less here, and hated for what it is. Sin against the Lord of the church. Sin against one another, or I- any others we're seeking to serve. Don Whitley, uh, in the spiritual disciplines for, of, for the Christian life, in the chapter on serving for the dis- uh, serving, uh, servanthood, he said, serving typically looks as unspectacular as the practical needs it seeks to meet. And that is why serving must become a spiritual discipline. We don't often think of it, I think, that way, but it is something that we should discipline ourselves in. And he said, the flesh connives against the hiddenness and sameness. In other words, you know, when people, it's hidden, people don't know it, don't see it, maybe don't acknowledge it. And, it, and the sameness means you may be doing the same little thing over and over. But God can be pleased in that. And we should be doing this as unto him, as I said earlier. So he said, the flesh connives against the hiddenness and sameness of some serving, maybe a lot of serving. And he said, two of the deadliest of our sins, sloth and pride, loathe serving. And for that reason, we should be serving even more. And below, we'll see more about the Lord's example that we are to follow. He didn't serve, of course, with selfish ambition. He acted the opposite, completely opposite of that. He humbled himself to become a man and to die. He was not conceited, of course. He gave his life as a ransom for many. He showed his love for us in that while we were sinners, he died for us. Paul David Tripp in the book uh, called Lead uh, that the officers have gone through, a number of people here have read that. And in the chapter on servants, he said, The call to servanthood is the tool that your Lord uses to free you from the discouraging and debilitating bondage to you. The call to servanthood is the tool that your Lord uses to free you from the discouraging and debilitating bondage to you. May we know that freedom. There are real dangers in being self-focused. And now Paul states how we are to serve in verse 3 uh, in contrast to selfish ambition and conceit. He said, "But in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself." Certainly not a worldly characteristic. Matthew Henry said, "We should be severe upon our own faults and charitable in our judgments of others. Be quick in observing our own defects and infirmities, but ready to overlook and make favorable allowances for the defects of others. We must esteem the good which is in others, above that which is in ourselves, for we best know our own unworthiness and imperfections. Indeed. Indeed, and those should humble us. The Lord described his heart uh, as gentle and lowly. Uh, Remember last year, I believe it was, Matthew 11? He described himself. He said, I am gentle and lowly of heart. And he calls us to take his yoke in that same passage and learn from him. Learn what that means to be gentle and loving and sympathetic and lowly and humble. He was and is kind and meek and humble. Praise God, we can be yoked with him and learn from him what that means. So this is the heart of the perfect servant that we are to imitate in action and the heart that we should pray that we have in the spirit. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates or demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, and we were certainly hard to esteem, I think, and love, Christ died for us. Verse 4 says, Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So you have legitimate interests. It's not saying we don't. but Look out not only for those, but also for the interests of others. And it's too easy to look at ours, I believe. So our eyes should be open to the needs of others. Pray that they will be. You'd have open eyes to see all around you, even in your own family. We should definitely not have eyes and thoughts only on ourselves or for our own desires and our own interests exclusively. Marriage, ask anybody who's married. Marriage doesn't work that way. Fellowship doesn't work that way and service doesn't work that way. We have to have eyes to care about the interests and the needs of others. Ask the Lord to give you those kind of eyes, to give you more of a heart to learn about and show concern for the needs of others. Agape love is sacrificial by definition. It is the love of Christ for us and in us, which should cause us to really care for others and to serve them as Christ serves, to have his mind in us, so we act as He did toward sinners, toward us. Now we have vowed in this church to practice the one and others. <clears throat> this is in the membership covenant. It's on pages seven and eight. Page seven also has a list of the one and if you haven't re- reviewed those for a while. But I'd like to read a few of these this morning as a reminder to us what we have vowed before the Lord and before each other that relate to what I'm talking about here. This is under the topic that I believe, I, we vowed that I believe or I believe in a, every member ministry. It says, as a member of Dominion Covenant Church, I understand and will endeavor to fulfill my responsibilities as part of this covenant family in at least the following ways. This is just a few of them. I believe that I am called by God not only to be ministered to, but also to be a part of the work of ministry here. I will obey the commands of Scripture which call for a covenantal relationship to one another. I will seek to glorify God by identifying my gifts, both natural and spiritual, and responding to God-given opportunities to use them, as Paul exhorted us. I promise to support the church in its worship and work and its service to the best of my ability. And then it ends. This is the last one. Uh, I promise to be a faithful member of this church supporting it through prayer, bible study, regular attendance upon worship, unselfish christian service and stewardship of my life and my possessions. May we fulfill more this year those biblical vows and encourage each other in that. And uh, to remind us of the practical one another's in this, I am planning this year to edit and share again some of the series of one another's that I it was more than 8 years ago that we went through those. So I'd like to do some of those again as a reminder what that means to love one another and serve one another, to encourage each other in that, to review it. In verses five through eight, we are called to serve together in the humility of Christ. He is our example. Let this mind, it says, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let his mind be in you. The humblest mindset of the master servant. So let's look at each part of verses 6 and 7, because we are exhorted to have this mind, or to have a humble mindset, the humble mindset of our Lord Jesus, that, that leads to actions of humility and service. And you can see in the notes there, I'd like to begin here, reading the Shorter Catechism, which is very closely aligned with verses 6 and 7. The question is, what in what did Christ's humiliation consist? Christ's humiliation consisted in his being born and that in a low condition, made under the law, he was born under the law, he lived in it, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God, the cursed death of the cross, in being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. So verse six says, who, being in the form of God, our Lord Jesus, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He did not cling to or grasp his position as being equal to God in His God the Father in power and glory. He didn't cling to that. He willingly, lovingly gave up his life. He gave that up for us. He laid some of it aside for a time. And then verse seven says, "But he made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself. He submitted himself in humility to the will of the Lord. He gave up temporarily some of his divine privileges." As a king, he was born as a common person. You all know that. And and worked at a trade like many others did. A hard trade, I believe, probably, physically. Tiring. And then it said, taking the form of a bondservant. We just thought about that a minute ago. He became the suffering servant for the people of God. 2 Corinthians 4 tells us that we do not, we should not, preach ourselves when we are preaching of Christ, teaching, telling of him, We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. We are slaves. We are bondservants. We are to be bondservants for others like he was for us. And then it says, coming in the likeness of men. We've been rejoicing over the last month uh, in the incarnation of Lord Jesus, the Lord of glory. That he would humble himself to become a person, to consent to become... Physically like those he created. Hebrews two tells us uh, in all things he had to be made he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. And it goes on and says so he could make propitiation for our sins. He had to be made like us. He had to come like us. Matthew Henry said he divested himself of the honors and glories of heaven to clothe himself with the rags of human nature. It's a good picture. He divested himself of the honors and glories of heaven to clothe himself with the rags of human nature. Praise God he did that. Verse 8 says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. John 10 tells us this about his coming, or his uh, coming to appear as a man. He said, the Lord Jesus said, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. He laid it down for us in humility. Verse 8 says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And it highlights that because the death of the cross was a criminal's death. It was a gruesome death. He bore our sin in his body, physical body, on the cross. He obeyed the law, which he brought himself to which he brought himself under as a mediator and by which he was obliged to die, Matthew Henry. He was born under the law, Galatians 4 says, when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So to conclude, on earth, he humbled himself to live in a world of sin and sinners, and the catechism phrased that undergoing the miseries of this life for 30-some years. He humbled himself as an earthly son under his parents. He obeyed them. He humbled himself before his disciples. For example, when he washed their feet. He humbled himself to be mocked and ridiculed and disrespected and hated. He humbled himself to be hung on a cross. For the sins of others to be publicly shamed to be a public spectacle to be treated as a criminal and to be tortured in the worst way that the romans could consider doing and to bear the just wrath of god for us and then to die the alpha and the omega went through death for those who by our sin in adam caused this death and therefore in verse 9 of this passage in philippians 2 Our Lord Jesus is now highly exalted and sits at the right hand of the Father of glory. Serving in humility preceded this exaltation. So we are praying this year. We have been praying this year already that we would be changed as a congregation as we serve one another here lovingly, in humble ways, and as we serve others. And our principle is this, and you all know this well, that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. He gives us grace to serve. I'd like to close with this quote from this book again. In some, he said, in sum, biblical serving, the kind that springs from love and is done for the glory of God, furthers unity in the local church. In turn, increased unity promotes serving, that is more biblical, more extensive, and more wholehearted. May it be so here. Let's pray that way. Father in heaven, we rejoice this morning that our Lord Jesus came as a servant to show us what humble servanthood is to which we've been called and to make it possible for us to serve one another and all by that same love. Lord, may we be like-minded in this and serve in unity here with your heart and for your glory. Lord, may we increase and abound in love and in service to all in humility. And Lord, may our unified service here be more extensive and more wholehearted for we ask this in the name of our servant king, our Lord Jesus Christ, amen.